Well, um, some of you know that uh, this past weekend, for the past two days, uh, Friday and Saturday, uh, I went up to Presbytery. And uh, Presbytery is probably a word that a lot of you are unfamiliar with. Uh, it comes from the Greek presbyter, which means elder. And so Presbytery is basically a gathering, uh, a meeting of elders and pastors from different churches. And, you know, we hold each other accountable. We fellowship with one another. One another. We pray for each other. And uh, we also examine candidates for ministry, right, for ordination. And so I was up for uh, examination, and uh, it's been really a two-month process of just going through different uh, written exams, uh, oral exams, and uh, Friday was kind of the big day when it all came together. And, uh, you know, I was really nervous. And uh, I was, you know, especially where I was weak was um, church history. And so I was driving up, and, and I went up with Sean and Darren Shung. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but Sean and Darren actually both have advanced degrees in church history, right? So it was like this massive cram session as we were driving to Sacramento. And, uh, you know, just like it always happens, 90% of what we crammed on was not asked. 90% of what was asked was not crammed on, uh, but nevertheless, um, I passed and I was accepted. Um, and I hope that gives you a great deal of assurance, right, that um, what I'm teaching, what I'm imparting to you guys is according to the Bible, that other pastors, other elders have examined and, and, and they're basically saying, I am orthodox. Um, and so if you guys know, for a pastor, uh, I'm going to be installed as an ordained minister, November 14th here at Indelible Grace. And if you guys know, uh, for a pastor, you know, maybe next to the wedding date, uh, well, maybe next to the wedding and next to the birth of your kid, <laughs> um, the day you're ordained, right, where, you know, pastors and elders from other churches are going to come, and just like they do in the New Testament, they're going to lay their hands on me, and I'll be an ordained uh, pastor, reverend, and, you know, that's like a really special, profound moment, and... Uh, I'm just really happy and thankful to God. Um, So let's begin with our message. That's just a report of what happened. Turn with me to page four in your bulletins. We're continuing our series. We're well into it now. Uh, We're looking at Jesus' farewell discourse. And the farewell discourse is a set of teachings that Jesus gives to his disciples on the night before his arrest and before his crucifixion. And so before he departs, what is it that Jesus tells his disciples that they vitally need to know if they are going to persevere, if they are going to hold on to the faith? And so Jesus tells them, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so let's look at the text. It comes from John 15. You can follow along with me. I'll read starting from verse 1. This is what Jesus says. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of God. And so Jesus is uh, teaching here, I am divine, you are the branches. What is he saying? And we see three things, and here's my outline. Jesus is teaching us the purpose of the Christian life. And the purpose of the Christian life is that we bear fruit. And how are we to bear fruit? We are to abide in Christ, and we are to experience the pruning of the Father. And so let's, let's begin with the first point, the purpose of the Christian life. Have you ever asked yourself, why was I saved? For what reason? What is the purpose? What is the mission of the Christian life? And Jesus gives us the answer. He says, we are to bear fruit. Look with me in verse 8. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified. Why? How is the Father glorified? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And in verse 16, which I don't have printed for you uh, for the sake of time and space, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. For what reason? That you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Jesus tells us that the purpose of the Christian life is to bear fruit. Now, what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about? It's not what most people think when they hear of Christians bearing fruit, because most people think of good works, right? That Christians are supposed to uh, do things, a set of actions and behaviors like uh, don't cheat on your taxes, um, care for the poor, um, don't have sex outside of marriage. And all these things are true, but it's only a superficial, a very surface level understanding of the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Because whenever the Bible talks about fruit, it's not talking about behaviors, but it's talking about the inward character, and it's talking about the heart. And the classic verse that really defines the fruit is in Galatians 5, and I have it there printed for you, and I want, to, I want you to follow along. This is what the Apostle Paul says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that's integrity, that's consistency of character, gentleness, that's humility, self-control. Now notice how Paul defines the fruit of the Spirit. It's not in terms of outward behavior, it's not in terms of things that you do, but it's in terms of character change, it's in terms of the heart that lies beneath the behavior. I remember uh, when I first became a Christian, uh, this was when I was in junior high, and I knew that I was uh, to live a life pleasing to God. And so I sort of examined myself and I said, what are those sins that I need to change? And what came to the top of the list for me was the fact that I love to cuss. Uh, it may come as a surprise to some of you, but I was one of those really foul-mouthed 
uh, teenage boys. You know, I just love to say these words that would just offend uh, adults, shock my peers. You know, it was just like so delicious to me. You know, it was like raw sewage just rolling off my tongue. Uh, and I knew it was wrong. I knew that not only was it hurtful, it was, it was very hateful, and uh, it wasn't pleasing to God. And so I knew that I should stop. So one day I said, no more. And I did. I stopped cussing. And I remember thinking to myself, that was easy. I think I got this Christian life down. Because you see, to change your behavior is so easy. Now I know some of you are going to say, now wait a minute, what are you talking about change it's easy, you know, I'm struggling with certain sinful behaviors, certain sinful habits that I just can't break. I can't break free. What do you mean change is easy? And what I mean is, if we're merely talking about your outward behavior, and you're not talking about the heart underneath the behavior, change is so easy. Because listen, why did I cuss? I'll tell you why. Because when I strung together those explicitives, right, I felt powerful, you know? I felt so cool. You know, I was, and this is not a boastful exaggeration, but I was a really eloquent cusser. You know, I could just craft together these creative combinations that would just stupefy and stun you. And when I did that, it was my way of saying, I'm better than you. I'm superior to you. I did it out of pride. And so when I stopped cussing, did I address that underlying sin of pride. I didn't. I just found other avenues to express my pride. And for me, it was academics. So when I got good grades, when I did better on tests, that was still my way of saying, I'm better than you. I'm superior to you. And you know, and people can do it in so many different ways in high school. You know, you can do it through athletics. You can do it by popularity. You can do it by looking good. Right, the clothes you wear, and you can do it. I think it's probably the most sophisticated way. You can do it by opting out of the system, you know. And for me, in my generation, uh, that was the alternative grunge group, right? And that's they're basically saying, "Oh, you guys are so pedestrian, so common sheep-like. I'm just going to opt out." But that was their way of saying, "I'm better than you," right? What's my point? That the world addresses the problem of sin by just looking at the problem, just looking at the, the surface, that it is possible. In fact, it is very likely that you can adjust the behavior without addressing the underlying heart issues. And I think a great example of that is, uh, and I've given this example before, is from The Cosby Show. Um, the Cosby Show, some of you are saying, what's that? <laughs> uh, I think it went off air now 15 years ago, right? But those of you who are in your 30s, you know, right? It was the most popular sitcom on TV. And uh, there was this one particular episode, the pilot episode, which is the first episode, and uh, Theo comes home, right? And Theo is the fun-loving son in high school, but he doesn't do really well. And he brings home his report card, and it's full of uh, Ds, right? And uh, so his dad, Dr. Huxtable, played by Bill Cosby, he decides to sit down with Theo, and he's going to have a talk. He's going to set him straight. And he says, Theo, what are you doing? Why are you goofing off? You need to buckle down and study. And Theo says, Dad, get off my case. You know, Dad, you know, Mom's a lawyer, you're a doctor, that's great for you guys, but I'm not interested in that life. You know, I don't want to spend all my life 
studying my head buried in a book. I just want to coast through high school, graduate, and just get a regular job like a bus driver. And I just want to have you know, a regular life. I just want money to play and have fun and you know, hang out with my friends. Dad, what's the big deal? And Dr. Huxtable said, you think you can have those things with a regular job? And so there happens to be this monopoly set nearby. And so he uses monopoly money, and he, and he shows Theo that with a regular job, the money doesn't quite go so far, right? That after you pay rent, after you pay for your car, there's nothing left over for having fun, for buying clothes, and especially for treating your girlfriend out, right? And so Dr. Huxtable is essentially saying to Theo, if you really want money to have fun, if you really want girls, be a doctor, right? Be a professional. Don't be a bus driver. And I think, I remember watching that episode, and I remember just being, it just striking me so much, you know, because I remember thinking, that sounds remarkably like my parents, you know? And that's the way the world addresses the problem of sin. It tries to change the behavior without at all addressing the heart. And here's the problem. You see, Dr. Huxtable was using socially acceptable sins like greed and pride to fight socially unacceptable sins like laziness. But he was leaving the underlying sin, which is selfishness, completely untouched. Dr. Huxtable is saying there's nothing wrong with wanting to live selfishly and just wanting to live for pleasure. But Theo, let me show you how to do it more efficiently in the long run, right? By being a doctor. You can have so much more fun than if you're a bus driver. You see, that's the way the world works, right? All that counts is your behavior. Even if you do it with evil motives and evil heart, that doesn't matter. And that was the complaint that Jesus had with the Pharisees because the Pharisees went around and they were the religious people. They looked so holy. They looked so good. But they did it out of pride and they did it out of selfishness. And Jesus says to them, you are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look so clean, so good. But on the inside, where no one can see but God can see, I know you are, there's decaying disgustingness inside. And so what is Jesus saying? The fruit that, that we're to, to exhibit, the purpose of the Christian life, is not a set of outward behaviors, but it's the inward heart change and character change, right? It's the heart that lies beneath the behavior. So that's point number one. How are we to bear this fruit? And Jesus says we're to bear this fruit by abiding in Christ. Look with me to verse 5. He says, Whoever abides in me... And I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says the only way that we can experience true heart transformation is if we abide in Christ the same way that the branch abides in the vine. Now, what is this vine imagery? I remember when I was a kid reading this passage, and I was kind of confused because I thought Jesus was talking about, you know, jungle vines, right? Uh, The stuff that Tarzan hangs off of. Uh, but that's not the imagery. Jesus is talking about grapevines, okay? So these are kind of like these little grape trees um, that bear uh, the fruit of grapes, right? And so here's how the imagery works. What is the relationship between the branch and the main stem, the vine, right? The branch depends on everything for its life 
from the vine, right? It draws all of its life, all of its nutrients. And what would happen if the branch were separated from the vine? It would die, right? And so Jesus is saying you have to be completely dependent in that way. Uh, just like a baby, you know, most of you know Christine and I just had a baby, right? Judah. And uh, one of the things that kind of amazes me is how totally dependent Judah is on Christina and me for life, right? Every minute, every, seems like every second, he needs us. And so if Christina and I were just to say, hey, let's take a vacation, we're kind of tired, and we're to leave Judah at home, if we come back, what would happen? He would be dead, right? Because he is completely dependent on us for, for his life. And Jesus is saying, if you want to bear fruit, you need to abide in me. You need to depend on me the same way the branch abides in the vine, the same way a baby depends on his parents. And so how does this practically work? Like, how does this abiding in Christ create actual heart transformation, character change? And so let's go back to the example. I know it's a little kind of trivial, but it's very helpful. Let's go back to the example of Dr. Huxtable and Theo, right? Here's the thing. In so many ways, Dr. Huxtable and Christianity, we agree that it's wrong for Theo to waste his education, to not make the most of his time in school, right? To just fritter away the time. But the major difference is how we go about creating change. Because Dr. Huxtable is totally uninterested in changing the heart. He just wants to change the behavior. But Jesus says, and the Bible says, what's wrong is the heart. And why is it that Theo can't focus in school? Probably many reasons, right? Probably he wants to hang out with his friends. He wants to stay home, play video games. Maybe he just wants to be lazy and just have fun. But whatever the reason, the reason why he does that is because he's drawing comfort and happiness and significance from these things. In other words, he's using those things as divine. He's abiding in those things. He's drawing life from those things. And the answer is that we need to turn and we need to abide in Christ, that we need to draw our comfort and our joy and our significance in Him. And when we are completely satisfied in Christ, when we revel in Him, when we rejoice in Him and have that kind of intense relationship with Him, we will change. Because when you love Him, you want to obey Him, right? That's how relationships work. When you love someone, you want to conform your life to that person. Whatever their desires are, whatever their wishes are, you want to adopt your life, right? You don't want to live your life in a way that contradicts their, their values and their will, right? And so some of you are saying, well, how do I get there? How do I abide in Christ? How do I have that kind of relationship? And here's the answer. We need to practice the disciplines of grace. You need to do the Christian practices, and these are prayer, reading and studying the Bible, fasting, fellowshipping with your believers and other Christians, coming to Sunday worship, you know, going to Sunday school, uh, doing acts of mercy, doing uh, uh, evangelism. You know, because here's the thing. 
I meet with so many of you, right? And I have lunch or I have coffee and I ask you, how are you doing in your Christian life? You know, how is your walk with Christ? And the answer I hear over and over again is this. I used to love God so much, you know? I used to be so passionate and so on fire, but right now I feel so blah. You know, I feel so cold. And I just don't have that old passion anymore. And the question that I always ask is, are you doing the disciplines of grace? Are you doing these Christian practices? And the answer is always, I'm too busy. I haven't found time to read or to pray or to do all these other things. And my answer always is, well, then, of course, that's the reason why you're cold. That's the reason why you feel distant because the way you grow in Christ, the way you cultivate your relationship with Him, the way you abide in Him is through the disciplines of grace. That's the answer. You know, I shared this uh, last week in Sunday school. The Christian life is like being on an escalator that's headed down, that's going down. And the only way that you can make progress is, to, is with enormous effort and strength. Have you guys ever done that at the mall? Right? Try to climb the escalator against, against the direction it's going. It takes enormous effort, enormous sweat. And what happens if you stand still? Do you just stay in the same place? No, you move steadily down, right? And that's the sinful nature within us, that it's constantly drawing us away from Christ. It's constantly pulling us away from Christ. And only with enormous effort can we abide and can we grow in Him. And so Jesus says, only if you abide in me can you bear fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. But in addition to that, there's a second way that we can bear fruit. And that is to experience the pruning of the Father. And this is a very important and really true point, but in so many ways, it's really painful to hear. It's really hard, but I hope to show you that it's beautiful, okay? So here's what Jesus says. Look with me in verse 2. And verse 2 has kind of two parts to it, and we're going to kind of skip over the first part. We're going to go to the second part, but I'll read the whole verse. Jesus says in verse 2, Every branch that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. So that's the first part. And, Jesus says, every branch that does bear fruit, the Father prunes that he may bear more fruit. The Father prunes that we may bear more fruit. One of the favorite activities that Christine and I like to do is we love to take walks around our neighborhood. And there happens to be uh, this street called Mandela Parkway near us. And it has this enormously expanded uh, center divider with these series of manicured lawns. Uh, these um, uh, rose gardens. And it's just so beautiful. We love to take strolls, but every once in a while, the city will hire a gardener to come and to prune these rose bushes. And the evening after he prunes, it looks honestly like a war zone, right? It looks horrendous. Uh, you, all of these beautiful leaves and parts of branches and, and, and rose buds are like scattered on the floor. And it looks like this gardener has just hacked away at these poor little bushes. He's just, a, he's just attacked them, and they're like a shadow of their former selves. And it looks like a complete and senseless waste, an utter, utterly unnecessary waste. But if you know anything about gardening, 
you know that the gardener is pruning in order to bring out the best in the rose bushes, right? That, um, that he's, nothing that he cuts out is not for the plant's benefit and would have been a detriment to the plant if he left it on there. Because that's how pruning works, right? The gardener takes things that look so beautiful, leaves, parts of branches, and he cuts them because they're drawing life away from the, from the, brand, from the, the, the plant. Right? They're keeping the plant from reaching its fullest potential. Now I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about all of those times that you felt like God was closing doors in your life. All of those times when you felt like God was taking things, beautiful things, and ripping them out of your hands and ripping them out of your life. I want you to think about all of those broken relationships. All of those times when you desperately wanted to get into a certain school, but you didn't. You desperately wanted a certain job, but you didn't. And you look over the landscape of your life and you see strewn about on the floor all of these beautiful things and you say, what a senseless and meaningless and pointless waste. And you're angry with God and you're angry with the Father, but Jesus tells us that those are the skillful hands of the divine gardener cutting away those things in your life that are keeping you from blossoming into the beautiful character and the beautiful person that God wants you to be. And I know that's hard to hear. That's hard for me to hear. Some of you are saying, you don't know the pain that I've gone through. You don't know um, how hard it's been in my life. And how do I know that when I feel the gardener's knife blade cutting into me, you know, It doesn't feel like pruning. It feels like he's cutting me off. He's killing me. He's destroying me. Because some of you are saying, hey, I noticed you skipped over that first part in verse 2, right? In verse 2 it says, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, the Father cuts away, the Father takes away. And you're saying, what is is that all about? Um, Is that about eternal punishment? Is that about hell? And the short answer is yes. Um, and that, I know, introduces so many questions, so many issues, and I wish I could address them all. You're probably going to think this is a cop-out, um, but for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over it, okay? Um, and I know that kind of sucks because it's a major part of the passage, but let me strike you a deal, all right? Sometime in the future, very soon, we'll address this issue of eternal punishment, okay? Uh, but for now, you know, hold, suspend your thoughts, suspend your judgments, And what's my point? Let let me try to find it. Um, Okay, how do I know that when the Father is cutting into me, that he's not cutting me off, that he's actually pruning me for my benefit? And here's the answer, and this is the gospel connection. Jesus Christ is the branch that was cut off for you. You see, Jesus is not only the true vine, but he is the true branch who truly abides in the Father. Again and again, we've seen throughout this farewell discourse, Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus is the only true branch that loves the Father, obeys the Father, and yet he is the only branch that is cut off 
and made to endure the punishment and made to endure the flame. There's a fascinating passage in uh, Isaiah 53. Um, And Isaiah 53 is this prophecy that one day a branch will come, the branch of Jesse, the root of Jesse. And, And then the description is that there's this young plant and he'll grow up and he'll be this perfect servant that he alone will obey the Father, he alone will truly serve the Father. But Isaiah 53 goes on to say that though there was no deceit in his mouth, though there was no violence in his life, yet he was cut off from the land of the living and stricken for the transgression of God's people. What is this passage saying? Again and again, all throughout the Old Testament, God says again and again, abide in me, love me, obey me, and you will live, and you will flourish, and you will blossom. But Isaiah 53 says, only one man has ever done this in all of history and all of time. He truly obeyed, he truly, he bore the perfect fruit, and yet he was cut off, and yet he was ripped from the life of the Father. Do you guys remember what Jesus said on the cross? As he was hanging up there in pain, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's such an amazing passage, amazing verse, you know? Because here is Jesus, and all of his life, he totally depended on the Father. He totally trusted the Father. He lived for the Father. He obeys the Father. Everything he did was perfect. But then on the cross, the Father rejects Jesus, forsakes Jesus, and cuts him off. And some of you are saying, why would this happen? Why would the Father do this? Jesus came for for this very purpose. It's okay. (laughs) I probably lost a moment. You know, there's a point uh, in every sermon, you know, when you're crafting the sermon and writing it, and you're like, this is where I drive it home, you know, this is where gospel connection, uh, and you're like, God, you know, make tears flow, and you know, um, and that was the moment. <laughs> okay, where's my point? All right, um, so, the father, so, so Christ calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, and why would this happen? This is the very reason why Jesus came. To be our substitute. To live the life we should have lived. To bear the perfect fruit we should have bore, but we didn't. And then to die the death we should have died, but we couldn't. And so that when we trust in Him, when we abide in Christ, we're like a branch you know, that has already been cut off, that we're, we're dead, we're withering. And Jesus takes us so tenderly and he grafts us back to the vine. He grafts us into him and life flows, you know, and, and we're restored and we're saved. And let me tell you, that is the only thing that will truly transform you. Why do we sin? Why are there these habitual problems and habits that we continue to have? I'll tell you why. It's because we love to sin. It's because something else has captured our hearts and we're treating that as divine and we're trying to suck, draw, you know, draw life from that. But when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, dying for us, loving us like that, 
that will melt our hearts, that will electrify our souls, and we will want to love Him back. And when you love Him, you will want to obey Him. That's how gospel transformation works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we have been living as if Jesus is not the true vine, but that other things are the vine. Money, sex, status, um, pleasures. And we're attached to those things. We're abiding in those things and we're trying to suck and draw life and nutrients from those things. But there's nothing there. There's no sap. There's no nutrient. And we're withering. We're dying. Lord, I pray that you would focus our attention back on the true vine. And you would make us to joyfully experience the pruning of the Father. And that you would make us bear true fruit, beautiful fruit, fruit that abides. We pray all this in Christ's name, to the glory of your name. Amen.